Let me pray first. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for this celebration of your life that you gave for us and also our lives as a result of that. And we just say through this message, through your words to us, that you would speak powerfully into our hearts and our lives as we celebrate you together today in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, what I've noticed is that life is full of mistakes. You even heard some of them from those stories today, some mistakes that people have made and the journey that that's taken them on. Um, I've made some mistakes myself. I, I know it's, you're struggling. Um, but I, I remember I was at an event one time and I, I, I approached the lady. I said, Hi, as friendly as I could, Hi, my name's Simon. What's your name? And she told me, I said, Have we met before? And she said, <sighs> Yes, and every time we do, you say, Hi, my name's Simon, what's your name? I said, has your hair changed? Or uh... <laughs> There was no recovering. There was no recovering from that moment. Some mistakes are more serious than others. I heard a story uh, some years ago of a German lady, Mrs. Schmidt, uh, from the town of Hamburg, and she was out shopping, desperate for the loo, unable to find anything else. She saw a workman's portaloo. Not put off by the fact that it had a sign on the front that said, do not use. She thought, I'll just nip in here, no one will notice. She nipped in, didn't even know why there was a noise outside while she was in there, thinking it was someone else trying to get in, it wasn't. It was in fact the workman putting a lock on the door. And then the sound of a crane as the portaloo began to move and was lifted, true story, onto the back of the portaloo lorry. She shouted, she screamed, but the noise of the hydraulic arm drowned her cries out. So there she is in the Portaloo, being transported to the home of Portaloos, wherever that is. <laughs> Two days later, the workman returned and picked up her Portaloo, again not hearing her, and took her to Dresden, some while away, where she emerged hungry and blinking in the sunlight, and she reportedly said, it's a bit ironic, really, because I'm always on at my husband about how long he spends in the loo. <laughs> Life is full of misunderstandings and mistakes. Things go wrong. We make errors. And I believe, though, that the greatest mistake people can make is the mistake about Jesus. It's a mistake about understanding the significance of who Jesus was. You know, there was a man called Saul, a later called Paul, and he uh, tells his story, one of the most famous stories of the mistake that he made and the difference it made when his life was transformed. He was uh, standing on trial before a king to give a defense for his actions, for the way that he had lived his life. Uh, and he says this, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the name of Jesus. Indeed, I did, I did this at Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priests. I caused many believers there to be sent, for, sent to prison. I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. I was so violently opposed to them, I even chased them down to foreign cities. He thought, these guys are deluded. Why are they, why are they believing in this dead guy, Jesus? He opposed them. He says, one day I was on such a mission to Damascus, about noon. Your Majesty, I was on a road, and a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell on the floor, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. Now get on your feet. For I've appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you've seen me. Tell people what I'm about to show you in the future. 
I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. They will receive forgiveness for their sin and be given a, a place amongst God's people. And so, King, I obeyed the vision from heaven. I preached first in Damascus, then Jerusalem, and through all Judea, and now also to the Gentiles, that all might repent of their sin, turn to God, and prove that they've changed by the good things they do. That's Paul's story. Saul, who was renamed Paul, that's his story. That's his story of how he made a mistake about who Jesus was and then turned around, changed his life and the direction of his life. Now, I was talking with a friend the other day and we were talking about religion and faith and all of this. And I said, actually, all of this stuff is irrelevant compared to one question. The question is this, who was Jesus and did he rise from the dead? That question is the most, all the other stuff about worship styles and things and that, it's all irrelevant compared to that question. Answer those two questions. Who was Jesus and did he rise from the dead? And everything else comes into place after that. I've just got a few minutes to show you three reasons why I believe in Christianity. And I've just noticed my iPad has only got 16%, so this might be a shorter talk than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> the first reason is this. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Paul was persecuting, thank you, Paul was persecuting the followers of a dead man. But then what happened on the road to Damascus is that he was confronted with a reality, a new reality, one that he did not expect. And it's this, that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Some people say, prove to me that God exists. But I think that question confuses different types of knowledge. You've got three different types of knowledge. You've got mathematical knowledge. Three plus three equals six. Is that right? Yeah, I'm just checking the pressure of you looking at me. It's putting me off. Uh, <laughs> I forgot how to spell the word the once. It was, I was like, it doesn't look right. Okay, three plus three equals six. You've got sci mathematical knowledge. You've got logical. You've got scientific knowledge. So you put a, a hypothesis and then you prove it. You work out, is it true, is it not? You test it out. But you've also got personal knowledge. And each of these is perfectly valid. But what people do when they're talking about God is they confuse one for the other. Let me explain. If we were to take something like a kiss, can you explain it mathematically? Not really. Can you explain it scientifically? Well, yeah, you can. It's when two pairs of lips come together and there is a reciprocal exchange of saliva and microbes <laughs> and carbon dioxide. <laughs> now, were I to go home later and say to my lovely wife, Caroline, darling, I've had an idea. Would you be willing to partake in the mutual exchange of saliva, microbes, and carbon dioxide? It's not going to go well for me, is it? I mean, that's not the start of a brilliant date night right there. It's just not going to happen. I could talk about the evidence for God. I could give you evidence from creation. I could give you evidence from the moral. I could talk about those things, but fundamentally... The reality is this, you don't prove that God exists, you experience God. <laughs> because he's not a thing out there to be proved, like a formula. He's a person to be encountered. That's what you heard so much in those stories, wasn't it? So powerfully, he was a person to be encountered. Here's a good question to ask. Has God shown himself then? People reveal themselves, they make themselves known. Has God revealed himself? Well, he has. He's revealed himself through creation. There's enough evidence in creation to find your way to God. He's revealed himself through history. But more than anything else, he has revealed himself through Jesus Christ. He has revealed himself through Jesus. Here's another good question. How then do we know if Jesus is the one? Well, apart from 322 prophecies about Jesus before he was born, apart from the fact that he spoke the words upon which much of our civilization is founded, 
apart from those things, apart from the fact that his own brother was convinced that he was God and said he was? I mean, who here has got a brother who thinks they're God? Who, who, who believes them? <laughs> who believes them? Who b- would believe your, bro- your own brother? You know your brother. Who would believe a brother who claimed he was God? Jesus is a brother who claimed, yep, Jesus is God. Apart from those things, we've got the evidence of the resurrection. The evidence of the resurrection authenticates everything that Jesus did or said. In the 18th century, there was a man called Gilbert West. He didn't like the fact that a lot of his friends were becoming Christians. And so he decided to write a book to disprove the resurrection. Halfway through, he encountered Jesus, changed the book and rewrote it the other way as a book that proved the resurrection. In the 19th century, there was a man called Lou Willis. He decided to write a book disproving the resurrection. He got halfway through and encountered Jesus. He rewrote the book and called it Ben-Hur as a story of why he believed in the resurrection. In the 20th century, there was a lawyer and a journalist called Frank Morrison. He wrote a book to disprove Christianity. He got so much evidence that he rewrote his book as a book proving that Jesus rose from the dead, and he called it Who Moved the Stone? The point I'm making is if you're in a hurry to become a Christian, just write a book trying to disprove the resurrection. You've got the evidence of the empty tomb, a tomb that was sealed and empty and eyewitnesses saying there was Jesus, a dead body inside. You've got to explain that. You've got the evidence of the resurrection appearances, 500 people, Paul included, who wrote their stories about Jesus and told their stories about Jesus raised from the dead. You've got the evidence of Christianity coming from nothing. You've got a a, a new faith that comes from nothing, a bunch of persecuted fishermen who knew, had no education, no background, no financial support and yet they went on to change the known Roman world and now the known world from their story based on their story that Jesus was raised from the dead I don't have to go into more detail you can read it for yourself there's lots of books written Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis uh, uh, Lee Strobel's book The Case for Christ on and on and on I'm a Christian today because of the evidence that Jesus is alive he is alive Paul one of the first persecutors of Christianity made this decision I've made a mistake I thought that Jesus was dead, but he is alive. He's alive, and he's changed my life. That was his story. And for some, you've never heard this before. This is news for you. Never really even, perhaps you've heard it, but never taken it seriously. Never realized there was any evidence. You just saw some wishy-washy faith, not that it was based on historical reality. And you've got to make a decision today. You've got an opportunity to make a decision. For others of us, you've heard it many times. And the danger is this Easter, we can just let it roll over ourselves. Oh, Jesus is alive, so what? But the reality is, if Jesus is alive, it changes everything. Jesus didn't come just to, to, to live and to die and to rise again, just so that we could have a few nice stories to tell at Easter. What else are they going to do? Give them something to do. No, no, he came to start a revolution. His teaching, his life, his death and his life came to change everything about everything. The way that the poor are treated, the way that that government works, the way that society functions. Jesus came to begin a revolution. The question is, are we playing our part? We can treat this as a nice little personal faith, Jesus is alive, or we can realize, no, no, no. If he is alive, it changes everything. It changes what I do when I get up. It changes how I spend my money and my time. It changes everything. So maybe one of our homeworks this next month is to look ourselves in the mirror every morning and say Jesus is alive so what how does my life today differ because of that am I someone who brings more hope am I someone who brings more joy someone who brings more kindness to the world around because Jesus is alive 
Have we received the truth and do we give it away? That's the first thing. The second reason is this. Jesus changes lives. Someone, someone once says, change is inevitable apart from, from a vending machine. <laughs> is that true? I go on a walk um, uh, a few times a week uh, round from my house and uh, I pass a graveyard and in the summer, I, I often will stop in the graveyard and sit in a bench. And it's sounding a bit stranger now, I'm telling you, than it did when I <laughs> wrote it down. I sit in a graveyard. I mean, not, lots of, I mean, not all the time. It's not like a reg- I mean, I don't travel the country looking for graveyards to sit in. I'm not some kind of weirdo. But, but I do sit in a, a graveyard occasionally. You're looking at me like that, aren't you? Stop looking at me. Okay, I'm going over this side. I, I, I sit in a graveyard. And do you know what I've observed from sitting in a graveyard? Nothing much changes in a graveyard. Nothing much changes in the graveyard. Why? Because dead people don't change things. Dead people do not change things. Why is that significant? Because Jesus changes lives. And if he were dead, how could he? These weren't stories of people whose lives were changed by a philosophy or even by the teachings of Jesus. They said, I met Jesus, I encountered Jesus, and he changed my life. Dead people don't do that. I've sat in graveyards, or one graveyard, and I can tell you, dead people don't change people's lives, but Jesus changes lives. He changed millions, billions of people's lives across the world. This is what Paul wrote His story, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith and love that comes from Jesus Christ. This is a trustworthy thing. Everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinful people. And I'm the worst of them. But God had mercy on me so that Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinner. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Do you get what he's saying? Paul's saying, I was worse than all of you. He even put people to death for following Christ. And he said, if God can rescue me and change me, he can change anyone. He can transform anyone. Millions of people, myself included, would testify to this truth. That Jesus changes lives. He transforms lives. Dead people don't change things. But Jesus is alive. So he can, and he does. He heals sick bodies and sets people free. Uh, This is my notes from just one meeting that we we prayed for the sick. Someone had tinnitus for over a year, starting in the second year. It completely left. Someone had a mouth ulcer, which disappeared. Someone had a back issue, which was healed. Someone had a shoulder pain that had complete movement. Someone who was not a Christian had a, a hernia. They were in excruciating pain. They were saying, he won't heal me, he can't heal me, I don't believe in him, oh, I'm healed. Someone had pain in their left knee, possibly arthritis, and they were pain-free. Headaches, splitting headache left, throat problem, couldn't swallow or speak, on and on and on. Jesus changed his life. Just last year I was in a meeting and there was a guy there from a Muslim nation. His father saw his son fall and his son broke his back in three places. And he took his son immediately to the hospital. They spent weeks, months with consultants to the point where they said, there's nothing else we can do with him. He's just got to live like this, paralyzed. He was paralyzed. He was in agony. And he was just having to live like this. And so his father then desperate took him around to every local mosque and got the imams to pray for him again and again. Nothing happened. And in the end, through a friend of a friend, he heard about a secret underground church because it's illegal to have church in his nation. He heard about this church and so he took his son to the church 
They were nervous. They weren't sure what he was up to. But he said, please, you've got to pray. So the church gathered around and prayed for his son. And as they did so, the boy leapt to his feet and was totally healed. I saw the boy. I... (laughs) I met the father and I met the son. This is like four, four or five years later. And the boy, to testify, did a dance in front of all of us. And I tell you, there were so many legs and arms flying everywhere, I couldn't even do that dance. <laughs> this kid was healed. He was healed. And we don't see everyone healed that we pray for, but we see so many healed that we pray for because Jesus changes lives. He changes bodies and fixes bodies. He also changes broken hearts. We were visiting another church and my daughter, Kaya, had a dream. And in the dream, it was a dream about a train. And so on the Sunday morning, she stood up and she shared the story. And she said, "Uh, there's someone here. It's like you're on the train tracks and you can't get off. And God is wanting to to speak to you. And a lady responded, a young lady responded at the end and told her story through many, many tears. We got to pray with her. And she said, I've tried to end my life three times. And even last night, she said, I had a dream that I ended my life on a train track. And she said, because you brought that dream and you had the same dream as me, I know that God knows me and sees me. And her whole story was about how insignificant and worthless she felt. But in that moment, she knew God knows me. (laughs) He gave me and this other girl who doesn't even know me the same dream to show me that he knows me and that he loves me. Jesus changes lives. And I could go across, we could spend the rest of the year telling stories just from this room of what Christ has done. And he frees people from the power of our sin and our brokenness, and the consequences of our sin, and the stuff that other people have done to us. Let me read you from this book, which I've been so enjoying, 40 Stories of Hope, How Faith Has Changed Prisoners' Lives. I've been an orphan. I've been a son. I grew up feeling rejected and abandoned. I've been accepted and found. I've been married. I've been divorced. I've been loved. I've been hated. I've been financially successful. I've been bankrupt. I've lived in my own house mortgage-free. I've been homeless. I've met the future King of England, Prince Charles. I've lived at Her Majesty's pleasure. I've owned top-of-the-range executive cars. I've had my car toned away. I've driven Lamborghinis. I've had to walk. I've flown a plane. I've been brought back to earth with a bump. I've traveled the world. I've been stuck in a rut. I've parted and danced. I've sat alone with no friends. I've been a number. I've been a name. I'm proud of my achievements. I'm ashamed of so many of my mistakes but I am not my past. Spectacular sin and epic failure demand radical redemption, unfailing forgiveness, and a deep-rooted rebirth. They say people can't change, and I agree. People can't change, and certainly people can't change people, but God can. God can change people. Isn't that what the gospel is all about? What Christianity is all about? People who need to change their lives, coming to know Christ and seeing their lives change. For me, life changed when in the deepest, darkest depths of my despair... All alone in my prison cell, I read the Bible from cover to cover, and it changed something in me. It changed me. I found hope. I found the hope. Christ alone can take your guilt and your shame. No matter how messed, how lost, how broken we are, Jesus changes lives. If you've never heard this before, I want to give you a response to a chance at the end to respond and encounter the Jesus who changes lives. And if you have, I want to challenge all of us, do you carry this living hope? 
Do you carry this living hope into your workplace, into your school, into your university? Do you carry the hope that Jesus changes lives with you? Is it on your lips? Are you ready to share a story, a testimony, wherever you go, as a defense, as an evidence of what he's done? And the third reason is this. And somehow my iPad's stuck on 16%. I think it's a miracle. (laughs) The third reason is this. Some of you are praying it down. (laughs) Some of the third reason is this. Jesus makes sense of life. In his book, River Out of Eden, Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, writes this. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And you know what? He's absolutely right. If there is no God, then he's right. There is no purpose. There is no significance. We start from nothing and we end in nothing. All will be left of the universe as the energy dissipates is just emptiness and nothing. The question is, do you buy it? Do you buy that? Because I used to buy it. I was an atheist. I used to buy that. That's what I thought. That's what I believed. But what Jesus says to Paul is this, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. They will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people. Dawkins says, all is darkness. Jesus says, there is darkness, but there's also light. (laughs) Jesus says, you can have your eyes opened. You can have your eyes opened. I stopped buying it, and now I see a very different universe to Dawkins. I see darkness, but I also see light. I see hatred, but I also see love. I see evil, but I also see goodness. I see unkindness, but I see kindness. I see ugliness, but I see beauty. You know what it says in the Bible? It says, in your light, we see light. When our eyes are open, we can't help but see it. People say, "If if there's a God, how come there's so much suffering and evil in the world? Ravi Zacharias, a Christian speaker, put this on his Twitter feed last week. When you say there's too much evil in this world, you assume there's good. When you assume there's good, there's such a thing as a moral law on the basis on which to tell good and evil. But if you assume a moral law, you must have a moral lawgiver. Otherwise, where else did that law come from? But that's who you're trying to disprove. Because if there's no moral lawgiver, there's no moral law. And if there's no moral law, there is no good and evil. So what exactly is your question? He's not trying to be smart. He's trying to sum up where the argument goes. Ultimately, you can't have it both ways. You can't say there's so much evil, therefore there must be no God. You have to get to the conclusion, if there's evil, then there's good. And if there's good, there has to be a God. There has to be a God. Otherwise, how would we know the difference between them? If you believe in good, then you ultimately have to believe in God. Because otherwise, you can't tell one from the other. Jesus explains how there's love, how there is hope how there is beauty, how there is purpose, how there is significance. If you believe any of those things really exist, then you are not far from believing in Jesus because he makes sense of life. And no other worldview that I've looked at, and I've looked at a lot of them, no other worldview leads to the same place and the same conclusion. Without Jesus, life is ultimately purposeless, senseless. But he has given us enough evidence to believe in him, to find him. The Bible says he is not far from any one of us. When I hear these people's stories, and if you were to talk to them later, and you were to say to them, where did you see God in your life before you became a Christian? I can tell you, every one of them would have seen signs of God in their life. 
signs of him moving, signs of him touching. They probably ignored them. I did. I ignored them. I pushed them away. I pushed them back. I didn't want to believe because I didn't like the consequences. But the reality is when you can't push them away any longer and you finally accept Jesus is alive, Jesus changes everything, Jesus makes sense of life, then things begin to change. How about you? You've heard other people's stories. You've heard my story. But what's your story going to be? If you've known these things for a while, then I want to challenge you this Easter. Jesus is alive. What difference does it make? How is it affecting you when you get up tomorrow morning? You know, when I've had dark times and down times, one of the things that recenters me is when I remember, oh, hang on, Jesus is alive. <laughs> All of this other stuff. Yeah, it's hassle, it's difficulty, it's not easy. But ultimately, if he is alive, that changes everything. That is the seed out of which everything grows. All hope, all purpose, all significance. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, I want to give you an opportunity. This could be your day. What a great day to make the decision to follow Jesus. You may have questions. I did when I became a Christian. You, you won't answer all the questions because this is not about a problem to be solved. This is about a relationship to be entered into, a connection to be made, a heart to connect with, a person to find and grow and develop. This is not an exchange of microbes. This is a heavenly kiss, a personal connection that you're looking for. You don't want to know about God. You want to meet God. That's what I found. That's what so many have found. Let's take a moment to pray, shall we? If you want to make that response today, if this is your beginning of your story, why don't you just pray this prayer with me? Jesus, I believe that you are alive. Jesus, I turn from my old ways to my, this new way. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Wash me clean. Give me purpose. Fill me with your spirit. Jesus, I begin again today. If you prayed that prayer while every eye is closed, I'd love you just to raise your hand as a response to say, yeah, I'm making this step to follow Christ today. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. Thank you so much. Someone else, just raise your hand high as a sign. I accept what he's done for me today. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's great. Wonderful. If you can put your hands down. There's a team with orange T-shirts. They would love to meet you at the end and hear your story. And also they've got something to give you, a little booklet. We'd love to give you more information.